Good morning. This is the reading of God's word from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity, and he will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock, then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, If you're new, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are, for the month of July and one week of August, doing a teaching series called Summer in the Psalms, where we're taking a break from Leviticus and looking at the Psalms. And I will confess to you that this week, I started working on some of my Leviticus sermons because when we get back from this break in the Psalms, look out. Uh, There's some doozies of some chapters coming up, and so just be prepared. Uh, If you want to read ahead, I think we pick back up with Leviticus uh, 13, 14, you know, scaly skin, mildew, bodily discharges, all the really, you know, the the things that people wake up, like, I really want to read this section of scripture. You want to read about mildew in the Bible. But uh, for today... We are going to be in Psalm 27 with a sermon that I've entitled, The Lord Cares for Me. And this might be my absolute favorite psalm. If it's not my favorite, it's at least in the top three. I love this psalm so much. It has ministered a lot of God's grace to my heart over the years, and I hope to be able to share with you some of those ways. So will you pray with me one more time before we dive in and unpack this psalm? Lord, I ask for your grace. I ask for your help to be able to communicate uh, the grace that I've received from you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would lead me and guide my words, that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. But even more deeply, Lord God, I ask that you would minister to each and every weary, restless, anxious, hurting heart here today, Lord, mine included. Lord, as we gather together in any any gathering like this, a room full of people like this and those joining us online, Lord, we know that there's any number of fears and uncertainties and worries and concerns and disappointments and Lord, all of those things we want to just bring right to you right now. And we want to receive grace. We want to drink deeply from the wellspring of life and salvation that you offer to us. So would you move in us, Lord? Would you help me to lead us in this time? And Lord, we thank you for your word, which is life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So this last week, um, I've had a really bad 90s country song stuck in my head all week. Are there any fans of 90s country here? Okay, all right. Okay, we've got a couple ex- exceedingly happy people. Of a, um, now, I would not be, some of you are like looking at me and you've heard me play music or whatever. You're like, yeah, hey, you don't seem like the 90s country guy. And you're right, except that in the 90s, my first job, I worked in an engineering company. It was a, like a kind of a, my, my dad's an engineer and a buddy of his owned a business. And the owner of that company and the, the front desk uh, admin office lady, uh, 24 hours a day, country music station was on. So I was introduced to Garth Brooks and uh, Tim McGraw. And I was there when Shania Twain hit the scene. And I, like, I, I, go, I, go, I go deep in the weeds on 90s country. And then actually I met my wife and she was also, a, a, you know, she was raised on dairy farms and squim. So of course country music was a part of her life. And so, you know, every once in a while I could, you know, turn off the Metallica and listen to some, uh, some Tim McGraw. And it's, I actually bought, I remember the first time I bought a country CD, and I was like, I think I need to hide this from my dad. Like, he would be, he, he, he would be more mad about this than, than knowing that if I had a Metallica CD. So uh, this last week, I've had this country song stuck in my head. And the reason is, I went over to the Barker's house, Pastor Jamin, or formerly Pastor Jamin, just regular Jamin, now Jamin and Kelsey. You probably heard us announce, have, have now officially hit the road and have moved to Arizona. And it was kind of bittersweet and kind of sad. And I was over there helping them pack up their garage and put things into boxes and throw some things away. And, and, and Jamin, oh my goodness, is a huge 90s country fan. There's always 90s country going with him. And so as we're packing and I'm going through there, I'm putting boots into a box for them and clean up garage stuff. And yes, boots. Uh, and, and all of a sudden this song came on. I'm like, I don't think I've heard this song since high school or maybe like maybe my early 20s. A song, uh, the, the song called Check Yes or No. Does anyone know the song Check Yes or No? Okay. And so all week long, do you love me? Do you want to take my hand? And if you do, I know all the words. Don't even try to come at me, right? Uh, it's like, you know, the, and the line, the culminates, right? It's like a story song about being like a little kid in the classroom and passing a note. And, and this says, I think this is how love goes. Check yes or no. And so I've had that stupid song stuck in. You're welcome. Yeah. I'll be here all week. Thank you. Uh, yeah. No, I'm going to move on quickly from the country. But it, it just, it related to this psalm because here, here's, here's the thought behind that song, right? It's this, it's this desire to know, do you actually care for me? Do you actually love me? And it's a, it's a cute little song and it's a, you know, it's a chipper song and it's kind of optimistic and it's kind of, you know, it's got that sort of, um, yeah, the optimism of youth. But, but really, if we think about it, how many of us have actually at some point in our life really struggled with that thought of that question, do you love me? Do you care about me? Kids feel that way all the time with their parents. Just, just last night, my youngest daughter came into our bedroom uh, with a bad dream, or at least I was told that she came into my room. I didn't wake up, and my wife took care of it all for us. So I'm, dad fail, I guess. I was, why do they say sleeping like a baby? It should be sleeping like a dad. I was sleeping hard, and my, my wife got up and cared for her, but it's like that, that fear leads her to come in and say, do you love me? Do you care for me? Are you going to be there for me? Or, or, or with, a, you know, some of you are in a, uh, maybe in a dating relationship, and it's, the technology has changed. It's no longer check yes or no. It's like swipe left for no or something like that, right? But it's, it's the same basic premise of do you care for me? Do you find me attractive? Do you find me like someone that you'd want to spend time with? But perhaps nowhere is this question more painfully asked than when it comes to our relationship with God. Do you care about me, Lord? Do you love me, Lord? 
There's this default fear of the fallen human heart that doubts God's love toward us, doubts God's care for us. Quick show of hands. Let's be honest, we're, we're together here. How many of you have ever walked through some sort of painful situation, some sort of difficult situation, and you found yourself asking that question, God, do you care for me? Do you love me? Anybody here? I sure as heck know I have. Perhaps the, the best place in the scripture to find, to find some company when we're in that place is the Psalms. The Psalms are gut-level honest, are they not? The Psalms are just uh, these, these songs, these expressions, these prayers that cover the whole range of human emotion. The highest of highs, the greatest of joys, and the deepest fears and longings and desires of the human heart. And as you may have heard over the last couple of weeks, uh, approximately half of the Psalms were written by a guy named David. <clears throat> David the shepherd boy, David the giant slayer, David the king of Israel, David the man after God's own heart, David the one who makes a colossal mess out of his kingship. And David's a man who exists in some tensions. I like David. There's a lot about David I resonate with. King David, King David has some tensions. If you look through his life, you look through his story, he, he's both overlooked and popular, Right In his younger years, he's overlooked because he's the youngest of, of his big family, seven brothers, and, and he, he's overlooked. He's passed by. He's out in the fields while the, the big brothers all get to go off to war and do heroic and noble things. But then David kills the giant, and what does it say about David? It says that the young women were actually writing songs about him. He was, he was quite popular with the ladies in his day. So he can experience that feeling of being overlooked and unwanted, and yet he can also experience that feeling of being extremely popular. He, he's a guy, he, he, another one of his tensions, he's, he's both like a physical, uh, you know, what you might could kind of call like a manly man, but yet he's also a very emotional person as well. I mean, this is a guy who talks about killing a lion and killing a bear and, and killing the giant and going out to battle and, and being uh, rough and, and, and tumble. And he's a, he's a tough guy. He's a survivor. He's out there living in caves and running from King Saul when King Saul's trying to take his life. And yet the Psalms reveal to us that he's a deeply passionate person, a, a person who you know, writes, writes you know, lines like, all night long I drench my bed with tears and my tears are my only food. A little bit emo, David, Right? And in this psalm, we see a tension in David, a tension of being both confident and uncertain. He's both very confident and he's also fearful. And he's asking those same questions of, Lord, do you care for me? I want to just walk through the whole psalm for a minute and then I want to camp out on that phrase, Lord cares for me. But going back to verse one, David starts out this way. By the way, it says, of David. Some of your Bibles, like my Bible here, says my stronghold. That's not the scriptures. That's the Bible editors that put this translation together. I'm using the CSB translation. They just called it my stronghold. I looked in a couple of other translations. A lot of other translations just call this psalm, the, the Lord is my light and my salvation, which good for them. That's just right there in the psalm. But the words of David are actually part of the scriptures. This is actually sacred writing that tells us it's of David. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that happened a little bit before Jesus was born, it says, of David before his anointing. 
But no more information is given to us than that. David was anointed, I believe, three different times, so we don't know which one. But maybe we should think of this psalm as early in David's life, before he's officially become king, maybe even as he's a young man. And he says this, the Lord, that's, that's Yahweh, that's the God of Israel, the Lord is my light and my salvation. What could I possibly be afraid of? Again, the Lord, he's the stronghold of my life. He's, he's that fortress, that safe place. Whom should I dread? Do you sense the, the confidence in young David here? Ah, when evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, that's like some walking dead zombie stuff right there. He says, no, it's them, my, my foes and my enemies. They stumbled and fell. Even though a whole army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Even though a war <laughs> breaks out against me, I will still be confident. You guys tracking with David so far, right? This is a young, energetic man who is feeling it. He's quite confident. He's so confident, he says, here, Lord, here's the one thing I've asked from you. This is what I desire more than anything else, above anything else. The only thing I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Uh, for those of you who have been with us through Leviticus, you know the, the high bar of who gets to enter the house of the Lord, who gets to go into the Holy of Holies, what tribe of the people of Israel, pop quiz, gets to actually go into that holy place and minister before the Lord? What tribe? Levites. What tribe, for, for extra bonus points, uh, I'm giving out God points here today, this is the score we're using, uh, what tribe is David from? Judah. Oh, so how, how confident do you have to be to say, I'm not even from the right tribe, I'm a king, I'm not a priest, but guess what? I just asked God, I want to go right into the dead center of the Holy of Holies, and that's really where I want to be for the rest of my life. That's it. One thing I've asked is to just do something that God did not allow uh, my tribe to do, but this is the confidence that we're dealing with, right? And I think it's a sincere desire, don't you? Like, this is a real sincere desire from David. He's, he's, he loves the Lord, the scriptures speak of David as a man after God's own heart. He really is devoted to Yahweh above all else. For all of his faults, all of his troubles, all of his flaws, he really is devoted to the one true God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth. I just want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple forever. Verse five, for he will conceal me in his shelter on the day of adversity. Like, there's going to be hard days, for sure. I'm not an idiot. Of course there's going to be hard times, but psh, he's got me. He's going to conceal me. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. It's like, you know, in a, in a battle sort of thing, you always want to take the high ground. So I've heard. I've never actually had to do that. Uh, paintball, I guess, I've done that. But then, then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And if we just stopped right there, it's like an inspirational, motivational, upbeat. You know, like David is rocking it. He is confident. But the psalm doesn't end there. The psalm doesn't end there. It shifts gears. We start to see Maybe some cracks in the confidence. Verse seven, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Will you be gracious and will you, will you answer me? My heart says this about you. 
Seek his face. So Lord, I, I will. I will seek your face. But do not hide your face from me. Lord, I want to seek your face, but it kind of seems like you're hiding your face from me. I'm supposed to seek your face. I'm supposed to call out after you. I'm supposed to pray, but are you going to answer me? Are you going to hide your face? Do not hide your face from me. You wouldn't turn me away in anger, would you? Are you angry with me, Lord? You have been my helper. You, I've, I, you always help me, but don't leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. You guys seeing this, this other side? You're starting to see the, the kinds of things that David is saying here are different than the first half of the psalm. He's, he's asking some questions. Where is your face, Lord? Where is your answer, Lord? You're not angry with me, are you? Okay, even if my father and mother abandoned me, even if the worst possible relational difficulty that could be imagined happens to me, I, I got to hold on to the, the fact that the Lord cares for me. So because of my adversary, I got enemies, Lord. Show me your way. Lead me on a level path. I, I need to know where to go. I need to know what to do. I need to know what direction to go. Would you lead me? Don't give me over to the will of my foes. I, I, I'm not in control of this situation. The, my foes have a will and they're, they're taking charge and I feel helpless and out of control. Don't just hand me over to that. For, for people are lying about me. False witnesses rise up against me and they're breathing violence. A little different than the first half of the psalm. Now there's a little bit more we're going to get to in a moment. But I just... This psalm is such an interesting psalm because it starts out in one place and then it takes a turn to a, a different place. And I can say for myself, one of the reasons why this is my favorite psalm is because personality-wise, temperament-wise, I trend towards the overconfidence of those first six verses. But the longer I live and the longer I'm alive under this sun and the longer I'm involved in church life and ministry, the more I really start to resonate with the second half of this psalm. Because things are hard. My confidence gets shaken. And I, like so many of you who raised your hands, I have been tempted to ask that question, Lord, do you love me? Do you care for me? Do you want me? Do you approve of me? Friends, I have one big idea for today. I want, I want to do, I want to take a page out of the Charles Spurgeon book of preaching and just give you one phrase that we're going to camp out for the remainder of our time, and it's simply this. The Lord cares for you. The Lord cares for you. Oh, I know our, our fickle hearts sometimes don't feel like it. Oh, I know the enemy would love to whisper lies in our ears and tell us, no, he doesn't love you. I know that the world and the circumstances of this life conspire against us to say, well, if God cares for me, why is X, Y, or Z happening? But friends, I want to tell you, not on my authority, but on the authority of the word of God, the Lord cares for you. Three reasons why I know this. Number one, the Lord cares for you because that is in his nature. It is his nature. 
David in verse four says, I really just, all I want is I want to dwell in the house of the Lord and I want to gaze upon his beauty and just know him. I just want to know what God is like. How do we know what God is like? How do we know what his nature is? How do we know what his character is? We can discern some things from nature. The the attributes of God are on clear display in his beauty and his glory and his power and his strength. But in the pages of scripture, in, in not natural revelation, but special revelation, the Lord speaks of himself and he tells us what he is like. And the first and most often repeated self-disclosure of the Lord comes to us from the book of Exodus in chapter 34. Here the Lord has revealed himself to the people of Israel. He has led them out of Egypt he, uh, through, the, through the destruction of Pharaoh's armies. They have passed through the Red Sea. They are now meeting with the Lord at Mount Sinai. This is before he gives them the, the building instructions for the tabernacle. The Lord is just disclosing who he is and what he is like. The Lord proclaims to Moses. He says, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love or steadfast love and truth. Maintaining that steadfast, faithful love to a thousand generations forgiving iniquity, forgiving rebellion, forgiving sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth declaration. This self-disclosure from God is the most alluded to and even directly quoted section of the Old Testament in the rest of the Old Testament. It is alluded to in part dozens of times. It is directly quoted six times. And I went through it. I read all six of them. Psalm 8615, Psalm 1038, Psalm 1458, Nehemiah 917, the minor prophet Joel 213, and then Jonah Four, two. All six times that it's quoted, I noticed something really interesting this week. All six times that it is quoted, the psalmist or Joel or Jonah or Nehemiah only quote the first half of it. They only quote the nice part, if I can use that language. You guys heard that? There's all this you know, forgiving and gracious and slow to anger and all this stuff. And then there's that, there's that, Accountability at the end. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. But the consequences will be visited out for generations. Nobody quotes that part. And that got me scratching my head. Why, why is it that the psalmist, why is it that the prophets would only quote the happy first part and not the more severe second part? And I thought, well, maybe it's because the psalmist or the other prophets are like me, where that second part is awkward and uncomfortable. You just kind of want to avoid it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're reading through the Bible with somebody, you know, maybe not a Christian, or you come across a verse like that, like, oh yeah, look at, the, look at how nice God is. Oh, and then he's going to punish the guilty for sure. And you kind of like to avoid those ones. Well, I don't think that's the reason because the biblical authors were a lot more comfortable with judgment language than you and I are. Everyone intuitively knows that bad actions are going to bring consequences. 
It's why even in a non-believing secular world, you still have this idea of karma that floats around. You guys heard of karma? Kids talk about it. They don't even know, they don't even, they don't even know what Hinduism is. Karma, I'm like, sh- just shut up. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> this idea of like, oh, you did something good, something good's gonna happen to you. Do something bad, watch out. There are consequences for wrong actions. And the Lord makes it very clear that even if it seems like at times he delays in bringing the consequences for those actions, he will not delay forever and there will be a day of judgment for the wicked. But I wonder if the reason why only the front half of that is quoted has to do with the difference between who God is at his core and what he will do. God will bring consequences. God will bring judgment on the evildoer. But at the core of his being, who God is, is mercy, compassion, steadfast love, truth. That's why the apostle John can say in 1 John, God is love. This is like the defining attribute of who God is is. Yes, the universe has some sharp edges. Yes, God is unapologetic about holding people accountable for their actions. But at the end of the day, the thing that most defines God, his very heart, his very essence is that of compassion, grace, faithfulness, truth, love, and forgiveness. That is who our God is. And so we can say along with the Apostle John that God is love. Even the Apostle John, when he writes God is love, even he talks about, yes, there will be consequences for sinful actions. John's not afraid of it. Moses isn't afraid of it. The psalmists aren't afraid of it. But it's like like saying, yes, we, we all know that. That's the reality. But the heart of God toward his people is compassion and care and love. This is who our God is. The Lord cares for you Because that's who he is. Number two, the Lord cares for you because you are his creation. My, all of my daughters are very creative in a lot of different ways. I have four daughters. I'm a minority in a sorority. My third daughter in particular is just a nonstop, like, artistic creation factory. She's gotten into painting. She's ruined every pair of scissors we own by cutting cardboard and building fairy houses. There's markers everywhere. There's drawings everywhere. She, for, for Father's Day last month, she made me a pop-up card. You know, you can go get those cards and like, oh, it pops up and does this thing. She like crafted a pop-up card. I can barely do the just like fold a piece of paper and half part of the card thing, Right? She's just this bundle of creation. But the problem is she's always taking our recycling and our garbage and turning it into things of beauty. I was like, okay, well, I've been tripping over this old like Clorox wipes box here for three days. Can I please go put it in the recycling bin? No, I made that. It's, it's very special to me. She's at student camp this week right now so I can talk about her. She's not here. She's... She's not going to listen to this podcast, but uh, 
Just this constant heart of love and care for every single thing that she's ever made. Now, if this is true for my 12-year-old daughter with a piece of cardboard that she snuck out of the recycling, how much more for a father who fashioned us with his hands out of the dust of the earth, breathing the breath of life into us? David says, even if my father and mother abandon me, even if the very people who brought me into this world, who created me through their love and their commitment, brought me into this world and and nurtured me, even if they somehow stopped loving me, the Lord never will. The Lord still cares for me because he is a father who made us in his image and in his likeness. And the Bible tells us that God cares for all of his creation. He cares for the animals. He cares for the fish. He cares for the birds. That God is pleased with the mountains and God is pleased with the rivers and the lakes the oceans, that God is delighted by all of his creation, but above any and all of it, he delights the most in us, those who are made in his image and likeness. You were made in his image and likeness. A few weeks ago in my personal Bible reading, I was in the the book of Hosea. And Hosea is another one of those minor prophets who's issuing a rebuke to the people of Israel for not being faithful to God. And God is giving this language of judgment and consequence and all of that. But then in Hosea 11, there's this dramatic turn where God goes, how could I give you up, oh Israel? How could I cast you away? How could I treat you like one of these other foreign nations? He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That God thinks of his people the way that a perfect father thinks of a child. The Lord cares for everything in all of creation, but above all else, he cares for his image bearers. And there are many forces at work in our world today to make you hate who you are. To hate the way that you look, your appearance, your skin color, your hair, your eyes, your skeletal structure, your height, your weight. There's a lot of people in our culture making a lot of money off of making you feel bad. But the Lord fashioned you together. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The voice of the enemy comes in and says, worthless. The voice of a loving heavenly father comes in and says, look at my creation. It's not just your physicality, it's your, it's your inner life, it's your heart, it's your attitudes, it's your disposition, it's your quirks, it's your likes, it's your dislikes. There are things that you're good at that reflect the image of God. You're a, you're a strange being. There's things you're good at, things you're not good at, things you like and things you don't like. There are certain foods whose textures bum you out. And the Lord knows it all. And the Lord delights in you. The Lord cares for you because you are his creation. And lastly, the Lord cares for you because he has redeemed you. David cries out, do not leave me or abandon me, the God of my salvation. Salvation from what? When humankind, there's always, there's always these two great things that we're battling against. The, the sin that comes out of us and the suffering that comes at us. 
When we gather together for worship every single week, we gather together and we confess our need. Lord, I am in need of a savior. There are sins that come out of me. There are things that I do. There are things that I say. There are attitudes that I harbor that I know are displeasing to you. Will you redeem me? Will you save me? Will you forgive me once again? But then there are other times where we gather together on a Sunday like this to worship and we come in and say, Lord, it's just hard out there. Life is burdensome. The sun is hot and I am weary. Sickness and disease, financial pressure and hardship, relational brokenness and disappointment. We come in here every single week to say, Lord, I need you. Will you forgive me for my sinfulness and the ways that I have harmed others? And will you heal me from the ways that others' sin have brought destruction into my life? And the good news is that our God, his care for us is no abstract sentiment. God doesn't sit up in the heavens saying, oh, I just very much love you and I care for you from a distance. No, our God is the kind of God whose love always has led him to get involved in the mess, to get his hands dirty, and to come make a difference in the lives of those whom he loves. In the life of King David, the event that he would look back on is the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, the Lord called his son. The Lord showed up when the people were enslaved to Pharaoh. And they were crying out, Lord, do you hear us? Do you care for us? Do you love us? And David could look back on that event with certainty that God showed up in his power, that the the lamb was slain, the blood covered over them. They were released from bondage and led into relationship with God. David would have looked back on that and put all of his confidence in that. But David also knew that there was a promise for a future hope a future Messiah, one that would come from his lineage, one that would come as one of his descendants to lead God's people into an even greater exodus. David looked forward to what we now see with clarity, the true David, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and one day will return to offer us redemption and salvation to prove to us that God's love is not some weak, ineffectual sentiment that God's love has actual saving power. And as Jesus lived his earthly life, he lived the perfect life of invitation saying, come to me for God loves you. And as he was nailed to that cross, his arms outstretched in an invitation, come to me. When I am lifted up, he said, I'll draw all men unto me. And when he was raised from the dead on that third day, because I don't know if you know this, Jesus isn't dead, he's alive forevermore. And when he was raised from the dead and he, he came to life again, he said, all who live and believe me, though they die, yet shall they live and I will raise them up on the last day. Friends, we're one day going to have a resurrection body like Jesus had. He says, trust in me, follow me. And now he's ascended to heaven as our high priest where he daily lives to make intercession for us. And he he says, come to me every day. Come to me, keep praying to me. Keep bringing your sins to me. Keep bringing your problems to me. I'm not surprised by any of them. I knew all of it before I went to the cross to shed my blood for your forgiveness and your redemption. And friends, one day he will return. Friends, one day Jesus will return and we will see his love and care on full display.
And yet, here we are, if we're being honest, sometimes afraid to come to the Lord. I'll tell you what, there, I, I don't have many pet peeves. It's a lie, I have so many pet peeves. But one of my biggest pet peeves in all of the universe is when I talk to people and they say things like, well, I would go to church, but I, I probably need to get a few things cleaned up in my life first. It drives me insane. I wish that I could just like, like climb inside of their heart and mind and make them see that's just not how it works. You can't clean yourself up enough to come to Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. He says, here, come here. I'll clean you up. I'll wash you. I'll forgive you. I'll take you by the hand and lead you into the presence of the Father in heaven. Dane Ortland is a pastor and an author, and we as a church staff have been going through his book. And he says this, he says, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. Human nature dictates that the wealthier a person, the more they tend to look down on a poor. The more beautiful a person, the more they are put off by the ugly. And without realizing what we're doing, we quietly assume that someone so high and exalted like Jesus has the corresponding difficulty drawing near to the despicable and the unclean. Well, sure, Jesus comes close to us, we might agree, but he holds his nose. This is why we need a Bible. The God revealed in the scripture, or sorry, only our natural intuition can give us a God like us. But the God revealed in the scripture deconstructs our intuitive predilections and startles us with one whose infinitude of perfections is matched by his infinitude of gentleness. Indeed, his perfections include his perfect gentleness. It's who he is. It is his very heart. Jesus himself said so. I will say this. This is true for those of you who have followed Jesus. If you are here today and you've not trusted your life to Jesus, if you've not repented of your sins and received his grace and received his salvation and his redemption, then you know what awaits you is that judgment that we talked earlier. And if the Bible speaks in stark, even shocking language about the severity of the wrath and the judgment of God, then how much more so should we speak of the severe mercy of God? How much greater is his heart of love towards those who come to him in repentance and trust and faith? There is an offer to you today of unbridled compassion and care. More love than you could know what to do with. So here's where David lands at the end of the psalm. Last two verses. He says this. He says, I am certain. See, he hasn't lost completely his confidence, but he says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. But there's a little bit of a tempering here. He says, you gotta wait. You gotta wait for the Lord. You gotta be strong when you feel weak. You gotta let your heart be courageous when you feel fearful you got to wait for the Lord. Here we see not the unfettered confidence earlier in the psalm and, and not the depths of despair in the middle of the psalm. Here we see a man after God's own heart learning to live in that tension. This is a man who knows 
Yeah, the Lord cares for me. Sometimes it's hard to believe it. Sometimes it's hard for you to believe it. But I say it again. The Lord cares for you. Not you in the abstract and not even y'all, although he does care for y'all collectively, but you. Yeah, but Aaron, you don't understand. I'm, I'm so weak and I give in to temptation so easily. Yeah, the Lord knows. And he cares for you. Yeah, Aaron, you don't understand. I, I feel so worthless. And the things that my mother said to me when I was growing up or the things my father said to me when I was growing up, you don't, you don't understand. My family hates me. I was a mistake. I wasn't even supposed to be born. The Lord cares for you. Yeah, but Aaron, I just, I've suffered so much. All this hardship I've gone through, all these heartbreaks I've experienced. How could the Lord care for me when life has been so hard? The Lord cares for you. It's who he is. He can't change who he is. You're his creation. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you are his redeemed one. But I'm not a good person. I'm not a worthy person. That's the only kind of person there is. That's the kind of person God loves. I don't have anything good to bring. I don't have any money to offer. I don't have a, I don't have a gift to bring. Uh, you know what he wants? He wants your sin. He wants your suffering. You send him the, the dump truck full of all the junk and he sends you the riches of heaven. You are loved. You are cared for. God loves you. Even if your father and your mother abandon you, the Lord cares for you. <laughs>